0: Progress. Recording in progress. That's what it actually sounds like. Not recording in <laughs> progress.
1: It's actually a very nice feminine voice, isn't it? <laughs> really?
0: <laughs> quite quite nice.
1: <laughs> Who is it now? No, okay, it, we'll move on. on.
0: <laughs> Weird start. Anyway. Okay, right.
1: <laughs> How are you?
0: I'm good. I haven't seen many movies. I've been quite busy. I know you've been busy as well. But yeah, uh, yeah I don't really think Yeah, so I don't really think, apart from the films we're reviewing, I don't think I've got much else. Still only a few episodes away now from finishing Ted Lasso.
1: Uh, oh, really? Wow, um, you've really binge-watched them. <laughs> I know.
0: I'm quite, wow. sad. I'm quite sad about I'm
1: sad, that. Yeah, I'm, yeah, it was a sad thing, but it's it was mm-hmm. a very good series, though. I'm quite happy to watch them it again.
0: Yeah, it's very cool. Every time I kind of think, can I get tired of just the warm-heartedness of it? Yeah. You, you, you kind of don't. Or they throw in some curveball episode. Yeah. Which yeah. Which you might not be expecting, which just makes it even better.
1: There was one in particular. which Wasn't quite...
0: that? Yeah. That was yeah, the one with... when the coach beard has a night out.
1: Exactly. That was very <laughs> Incredible,
0: random. Incredible, that was. Something
1: out of Doctor Who, I felt like a little bit.
0: <laughs> it was like, like a melting pot of lots of different things. Yeah. But I love that episode.
1: <laughs> well, I've I've caught up with because you reviewed uh, Extraction. well, you didn't review it? You, you mentioned Extraction Two on Netflix last time, and I, I agree completely agree with your comments. How much action is there? It just seems endless, doesn't it? But you know, I thought it was it was a good watch. It's almost like an uncle off, isn't it? <laughs> it's how Chris Hemsworth's character has an uncle off and protects his former wife's niece and nephew from their father's brother who oh, is tied, tied to a help. terrorist unit.
0: Never heard that. An uncle off. Uncle
1: Off. It is an uncle off though. They're both uncles fighting yeah. each other. Anyway, and then the uh, hijack is just uh been released on uh, Apple TV Plus and it's got Idris Elba on it. It's as it says on the tin, is about a plane hijack and going from Dubai to Heathrow. And when just what started watching it really. I'm hoping it gets a bit more exciting. It's sort of suspense at the moment. Who's who do you trust? Who don't you trust? And Idris Elba, so far, I think will be a goodie. But the first episode, you thought, oh, maybe he's a baddie. So, yeah, one to watch as well.
0: Well, I have seen that pop up quite a lot, so I might give that a go. I wasn't, Mm -hmm. like, completely enamoured with the trailer, but... Because I've got this Apple Plus, and I'm not very good at cancelling it. It's staring me in <laughs> the face every time I turn it on to watch Ted Lasso. There's hijack, and oh, okay, I'll, I might have yeah.
1: to watch it. There are some good, there are some really good TV series on on Apple TV Plus. Anyway, anyway, so it's, this is our 80th episode.
0: I know, Unbelievable. can you believe it? A
1: podcast <laughs> really. that started in lockdown.
0: I know, a long, long time ago And
1: we've reviewed 180 movies to date I'm sorry, 160 movies Yeah,
0: I was going to say, 160 Yeah, that is, it is it is mad And the thing is, we've got to the point where we won't even remember the films that we've reviewed
1: Well, I was thinking surely the first, the the bad one was probably Black, is it Black Bear? It's probably the worst one we had And then the best movies, I think was Toy Story, When Harry Met Sally and Pulp Fiction
0: You hated Vertica. Oh Vertica, yeah, but I think
1: I I think I gave Black Bear. Yeah, we both none of us like Black Bear. It's
0: absolutely crazy.
1: We should review them again, though, pick out our favourite ones again from the hundred and sixty that we've had a look at. I have kept a list. I mean, I know it's on there. Yeah, list. I know. I haven't. I've been a bit rubbish and haven't. I've, I got to a certain point and then stopped putting in the scores. How much I you know. To...
0: Well, I must admit I am the same. And I got to that point now where I'm thinking I'm going to have to actually go back and listen to get the <laughs> scores. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, it, it's awesome.
1: Anyway, on to the quiz, which relates to 80 or 80s.
0: I knew you'd do this. I love it.
1: Yeah. So, 80s quiz. So, let's start. Is this, is, is this just an excuse to do 80s movies?
0: <laughs> well, I was year. saying,
1: should we dress up? Well, I was thinking, no. Well, you were thinking, no. And I was thinking, actually, no. Can't be bothered to dress up. For... Nobody can see us. So, Ting Ting, question one. Ready? Yeah. Brat Pack is a nickname given to a group of young actors who frequently appear together in a teen-oriented coming-of-age film in the 80s. Members included... Anthony Michael Hall, Rob Lowe, Andrew McCarthy, Demi Moore, Judge Nelson, Molly Ringwald, Ali Sheedy, and who is missing off that list?
0: Is it rest of us?
1: Yes. Well Woo! done. There is also someone else that was missing from the list that I mentioned. There's Mare uh, Winningham. She actually never filmed with the other actors in yeah. in the 80s, yeah. so she's not really classed as one of the Brat Pack. Right? Can you name the film she starred in? with the others that I have just mentioned that we've also reviewed. So it had Amelia Estevez, Rob Lowe, Gary oh, Moore.
0: Oh, it was so, St. Elmo's Fire.
1: Yes, there you go. Um, John Candy had a purple patch in the 80s. Uh, can you name two of his 80s films he starred in? Uncle Buck. Yes, what's one?
0: My other one that's one of my favourite films, actually. I don't know if it's 80s. It could slip into the 90s. I'm just going to say it because I can't think off the top of my head of any more. I will say planes, trains, and automobiles.
1: It is in the '80s. Yeah, yeah, very cool. So planes, trains, automobiles. Uncle Buck, Spaceballs, The Blues Brothers. He was he was in Cannonball. Little Shop of Horrors and Splash are some of the ones that he was in, but there are many others that he featured in as well in the 80s. Yeah, he then goes on to do Cool Runnings in the 90s, which is probably one of my favourites with him in, in particular. Uh, Stand By Me, released in 1986, it was about a boy that went missing and a group of four boys that went searching for his body. Can you name two of those actors out of those boys in the film?
0: Yeah, Corey Feldman and River Phoenix.
1: Yeah, good. And you could have had Will Wheaton or Jerry O'Connor as well, who was the, the sort of chubby one, who's no longer chubby, very, sort, of very slim and fit looking now. Uh, how many of Indiana Junior's movies were released in the 80s? Ooh,
0: I'm guessing. Well, no, I, I'm pretty sure it's Rage of the Lost Ark and Templar
1: Doom. There's three. Last Crusade was in 1989 as well
0: no it wasn't
1: yeah it was, was when it, you think it, about it? it river phoenix he was you know a, a a teen in 1986 in stand by me so only a couple years older that's and he unbelievable was in, yeah i, I, I know I, I thought it was the shock. 90s as well yeah. i thought it, God, that's a shock yeah well you did pretty well there i mean i think you only got really one wrong and that's it that's very good you know your 80s stuff take Rob, that. which should we lead that nicely into Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny? Let's do it. So uh, out in cinemas right now, it's it's had mixed reviews, I'm going to be honest, but it left me feeling I wasn't disappointed. I, I thought it was good. Maybe mixed um, reviews from, from Rob and me coming up. We'll, we'll see. Director is James Mangold, who brought uh, you Girl Interrupted, Night and Day, Wolverine, Logan, And more recently, the Le Mans uh, 66. And he also pulled in some of the writers, too, to be part of that from Le Mans 66. Uh, We start the film with a young indie back in World War II days trying to poach a much-treasured artefact that Hitler's army have seized and captured. He's accompanied by his British colleague Basil Shaw, another professor of archaeology, played by Toby Jones. And previously, he would have, it would have been played by Denham Elliot that role. There is one item in particular that is of interest to both of them. And that's the half of the Antikythera, uh, which is an ancient dial built by Archimedes, which Indy takes from Nazi scientist Jürgen Voller, who's played by Mads and Mikkelsen. After this action scene, we're then catapulted into 1969, where Indy is much older and retiring lecturer and goddaughter Helena, played by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, sits in his class at university and he then reunites with her godfather in a bar as Indy celebrates his retirement with a stiff drink. Uh, we then discover she is in search of the second half of that dial, which her father Basil Shaw was obsessed over because it had this godlike powers as well and he, wanted, uh, he was getting obsessed, a bit like Lord of the Rings, I would say. It's like a precious uh, how Toby Jones was acting in, in that role. But uh, hot on their tails, is older Jürgen Waller now living in America Two having helped the US space mission to the moon and also keen to get his hands on the missing dial. We see a cat and mouse adventure really uh, with his men and Indy and Helena. And Indy is supported by his old friends also, uh, Rinaldo played by Antonio Banderos. We've got Salah played by John Rhys-Davies. And uh, we have a loving moment and appearance from Karen Allen, who is the love Marion from the Temple of Doom Days as well. I'll stop there. Rob, I'd love to get your thoughts.
0: Well, I think the first thing to say about the movie is that they use the de-aging for the first, whatever it is, I'd say half an hour of the film, where we're seeing the younger Indiana Jones, like you say, on this adventure. And I actually think that was my favorite part of the movie. Once once I got my head around the fact that it, you know, it wasn't real, which was tricky, the de-aging looked so good. I thought it looked really good. It
1: was very good. Yeah, and, I thought it was
0: good. And I was like, you know, with that critic's eye, I couldn't help but try and spot some slight imperfection and it never came. And It's a very strange thing because I do find it a bit of a barrier only because it's still something which is relatively uncommon still in films. I know it's being used more now, but it still, Mm. for me, slightly gets in the way. And it's only because your brain wants it to be a real person and it is a real person, but they put a different face on it. It was a bit Mm. strange.
1: I heard it's they've got so much footage of Harrison Ford because he's done all the Lucas, you know, quite a lot of Lucas films, and it's hit Lucas films are involved. I don't know whether it's titled Lucas films, but they're involved with this film, obviously. And they've got so much footage. And he stuck some dots on his face, and he apparently had to say some words, and it would apparently then with AI it would automatically just change it to be the young. Indie speaking, so he found it a bit odd himself, but he knew they would have the technology to do it because they've got so much footage of him that also was in in the movies as well, in other movies. So they've got some of that was left on the, the cutting room floor that they used. And it does
0: bring up a really interesting debate about AI, and maybe we'll touch on it later. But because it just throws you pretty much straight into this young indie or as we remember him from the early films in this adventure it does feel like naturally that it's been lifted out of one of the old films and I think that's where they really play on the nostalgia there was elements of the film in that big opening sequence where I thought the CGI was a little bit ropey mm. there was a scene when they were running along on top of a train train and yeah. it and it stood out a little bit. But anyway, I actually was surprised at how much I enjoyed that first section. And then the introduction of Phoebe Waterbridge is His goddaughter, I thought that worked well. She's a real presence on the screen, isn't she? I thought she was perfect for that kind of role. And from that moment, we then go back into the modern day. And I think I struggled more, I've got to be honest, with the scenes when he is older. I didn't so much mind the scenes where he was older and he's a little bit washed up emotionally. He's a little bit broken. I was quite happy with that. But once he started dons the gear again and goes off on another adventure i found that harder to go with for me it's that whole thing of if you're watching an action film which of course is going to be over the top that's the whole point of it i'm totally understand you have to suspend your disbelief but i sometimes find if something just goes beyond that for me it's too unbelievable then i struggle a bit so i think Mm. given the fact we know he's 70 odd years old i just thought this or, or 80 this, it's like this guy can't ride a horse he can't rock climb he can't go down you know he's running, <laughs> screaming around on a tuk-tuk so if i was to say right you've got act one act two act three act one i really enjoyed act two i struggle with there was a bit in this where they were they were kind of out in the sea and they would did a dive to get another artifact that was going to help them locate where the second half of the dial was. There was a bit around there where they're talking about the ciphers and the codes and that it, it plodded a little bit for me in that section. Then the final acts, I mean, in terms of plot, wow, <laughs> it kind of goes in a Some people would say it's ridiculously silly that Indy ends up effectively back in time as a result of the use of this dial, which is a little bit, is this really happening? So yeah, really like the first bit, not so keen, plotted a bit, was a bit bored by the second bit. And the third bit, I just didn't know what to make of. That particular plot, I'm not going to give it away. I just thought it was a little bit bonkers. And then I was waiting, of course, for this quite emotional goodbye, everyone knows this is his last film. And I think I was, I don't know, I think I was waiting for something that was going to have hopefully more of a punch than than for me personally it, it had for the final scene. So, yeah, I kind of came away just feeling it didn't quite work. I almost feel like with these films, and we've seen it with other franchises that gone back, and nostalgia only get you so far and cl- you know that oh. whole opening was all about nostalgia which is probably why mm. i really liked it but i felt once they got back into the modern day and then where they it was then actually right we've got a we've got a crest or a story and a plot that's going to work for the modern age <sighs> i wasn't quite sure i don't so- know i
1: just i kind of went with it um i knew yeah I, all right he's he's an older gentleman but there was still some cleverness with the the um scenes and the chase scenes that they had. They still have all plenty of bugs and horrible insects that we expect from the Indiana movies. So they kept a lot of what I think it fitted in fairly well with the first three Indiana Joneses. I would say it's not the best Indiana Jones. I think, for me, the second and third one is the best Indiana Jones. The fourth one really got completely misaligned. Yeah, I think the second is better than the first one. I like like, uh, Short Round. In it. so it just adds a bit of humor in there, but um, I didn't think it was misplaced. I thought it kept that sort of the godly powers were, were, were in there as well. But uh, yes, I think the ending did go a little bit too far, and I just felt it was up there with the others, to be honest. So, I mean, it was I think it was better, better done than when we watched like the Ghostbusters, for example, the new Ghostbusters that was done more recently. I, I think seen I that. preferred. I preferred this to that one, for example. So I was actually really impressed with some of the special effects. And yes, that train scene went running along the, the top of the train it did look a bit of a mismatch there. And the I would say the, the CG wasn't as good on that particularly. But I just felt it's still very clever, still tongue-in-cheek. And I thought Phoebe Waller-Bridge was a nice touch to it. And I've, I know she has her from Fleabag. That's how she's best known. I think she talks to the screen a bit like Miranda does on occasions as well and there was a scene uh, i think they kept a little bit of that it also in the movie where she's not necessarily talking to herself but it's she looked at the camera and it's almost like she's about to say something so i think they kept a bit of fleabag-esque you know she's so well known for in this film as well and also the only thing i found was a bit she's supposed to be 30 and i think she's she's nearing 40 so i think age-wise they got mismatched there a little bit but she looks fairly young really as well
0: I also found that there were some scenes and and I don't know, I've tried to look this up, but only very, very briefly. There was a scene in this where Indy is asked about whether he believes in kind of supernatural powers or or the world of the supernatural. I think it was a discussion about what science and, you know, Mm -hmm. and he reels off this monologue to someone, you know, I've seen things that, make me question i i can't remember what it is but i was watching it and i thought hang on this is like the scene where he talks about whether the force is real or not in star wars in in the um (laughs) in the first rebooted star wars franchise you know when he's old in that i cut the force awakens i'm sure there's a scene the force awakens where he's having that same conversation to someone ray i don't know because it really freaked me out i thought and it was almost like they went in on his face, as if they, they knew what they were doing. I thought, is this because there's this connection with Lucasfilm and Star Wars and it's Han Solo and Indiana Jones, and they're doing this deliberately? So I thought that was a bit strange. I might have got that completely wrong, but that really threw me. I really liked Toby Jones. I thought he was great. I thought he was good. Yeah. Now. I don't know. Maybe I'm being maybe I'm being a bit harsh. I never saw the Crystal Skull, oh. and I I know I mean obviously I heard that that wasn't particularly great. And from what I hear, this is a lot better than that. For me, it's almost like a kind of a, it's a three out of five. It's a, it's a nice to watch. It's pretty good, but maybe I was wanting a little bit more.
1: Mm, I think I went in probably expecting it would be worse than it actually was, but I actually I was quite pleasantly surprised. And I think you get getting a very much an aging population now. And I think we shouldn't write off people because of their age, but in movies, they should continue to do these things. I know that Bradley Cooper and Chris Pratt were originally considered to do the next Indiana, but Harrison Ford was having none of it. He said, no, I'm still around. You know, you can do it after I'm dead kind of scenario, but good on him. I think. There's an opportunity now that they can do these things with, with CG using AI and have older people in Hollywood films a bit more.
0: Well, I heard a podcast interview with Tom Hanks
1: mm-hmm.
0: and right at this moment in time with AI being used now for, for mm-hmm. these de-aging, the Actors Guild are currently trying to figure out from a legal standpoint how they protect their digital rights because Tom Hanks was making the point and it's a fair point. He said I could die, but they could go on making Tom Hanks movies. Yeah,
1: that's true. And yeah. you know, and,
0: and obviously we would know it's not Tom Hanks, but it doesn't matter. It's gonna look like Tom Hanks, it's gonna talk like mm-hmm. Tom Hanks. Mm. And it's one of those weird things, because as someone of our generation, you'd be like, well, yeah, but it's just that's not going to work. It's not really the same. But then a generation that are growing up now might would just probably think, well, why not? You know, what, yeah. why, why can't why can't someone just live on and we enjoy their movies? Mm,
1: mm. Well, it's I don't a bit know. like Star Wars, isn't it? Some of the baddies that are in Star Wars are still living on in the latest Star Wars movies that we've seen. And they actually passed away quite a few years ago, so I I can see that thought. But I think maybe, maybe they're having some, going to have some sort of disclosure after I pass away. No more me on your movies, kind of scenario. Maybe they need to do that. It's in their will. Yeah, I don't know. Who knows what's going on? Hollywood.
0: Or or, or maybe they, maybe once they die, their rights are automatically sold to some company, and then then the estate of the family will get all the money from any films Mm. off the back of it. I don't know.
1: Yeah, very interesting discussion that could be had on that, actually. So, what are you going to give it?
0: I'm going to give it, mm, there were times when I was watching it and I thought, Do you know what? When Harrison Ford hangs his boots up for good, mm. it's going to be a hat. sad. Or his hat. Or his hat, yeah. <laughs> his hat. It's, it's going to be a sad day because he's a genuine movie star and he mm. can still pull it off. And I was thinking that quite a few times when I was watching it. So, I'm going to give it, I'll give it a seven out of ten.
1: Okay, cool. I mean, I'm going to give it an eight out of ten. I thought I just went with it, and I give. I've I contemplated giving it a slightly higher, but then I thought there was some some <laughs> some things that were completely far fetched, and with that CG moment that was stuck out like a sore thumb. I think they could have fixed that before it was released, anyway. But I think good on him that he's he's done another one, and I think it does give opportunities for older people to be able to do more movies going forward as well. I'm not going to be ageist on on this one, so uh, (laughs) so, yeah, 8 out of 10.
0: Good stuff, good stuff.
1: So next we have, and it's from your list, The Hurt Locker.
0: That's right. So let's crack on Hurt Locker. So this came out in 2008, directed by Catherine Bigelow, who four years later gave us Zero Dark Thirty. Uh She's done films like Detroit since, uh, written by... Mark and stars Jeremy Renner, Anthony Mackie, Brian Geraghty. So this is set in Baghdad, Iraq, 2004. And we have staff Sergeant William James played by Jeremy Renner, who leads a small bomb disposal unit alongside his subordinate Sergeant Sandborn played by Anthony Mackie and a specialist in their team, Eldridge played by Brian Geraghty. Uh, And he's, He's kind of unravelling a little bit in this movie. The team spend their days on patrols in which they're driving around in heavily armoured vehicles and they're effectively moving targets. Everywhere you look in the rubble of these destroyed neighbourhoods, there are faces peering out, there are insurgents hiding away. It's a very kind of tense and hostile place. And when you're watching it, I think the, the scenery in a weird way I think is quite a big character in it if that makes sense because it plays quite an important part i think in the whole atmosphere of the piece um and of course when they discover a bomb and they have to go in but they've got no idea if it's on a timer if there's a booby trap whether it's going to be detonated by locals lurking as i say in the in the buildings and james comes on board to the team and he's got an approach which is completely the opposite to those that have come before him or goes very much against Sanborn's way of doing things. He's daring, he's impulsive, he's got all this bravado, he disregards safety measures. you know. So he personally will go and investigate a bomb without using the remote-controlled Autobot that we see very early on in the film, which is just very much the protocol. I and mean, even at times he doesn't even wear the protective gear. And so he comes onto the scene and he really throws his team. Uh, they just don't know what to expect with him. They don't know what he's going to do next. And it's really a film that constantly poses the question: and that is, is James acting like this way because he's losing his grip on reality, you know, due to the nature of war, you know, these extreme life-threatening circumstances of war? Or is he actually kind of secretly addicted to the exhilaration of it all and the buzz of it all? And there's a quote that comes up very early on, which basically lays that out. And that's really what the film's about. It's, it's exploring the whole psychological toll of war and those kind of complex motivations that, that drive soldiers in combat and equally can destroy them. Uh, mentally, this is, as well as all the kind of physical side of it. So yeah, I don't want to give too much away. Basically, James is a huge help to the team. He's very, very good at what he does. He's he, you could just, you know, you could kind of say he's a maverick. But then equally, he leads his team into some quite scary situations uh, which have various consequences. He, you know, he becomes attached to this little boy uh, as well, who he buys kind of bootleg DVDs off. He, You know, he comes into the camp and then sadly he sees a body that he suspects is that boy. And he becomes very, very emotionally charged by, by seeing someone who, you know, you see every day as a little boy. And then he sees this boy unfortunately used... Well, sadly, in actual fact, it's worth noting in this film that there are some quite brutal scenes. Mm. I mean, it is obviously about bomb disposal team, so you'd probably expect it. But the way in which some of these incendiary devices are planted, mm. it, it, it's really quite horrendous, actually. Yeah. And there, there, were, there yeah. were parts of this film that I'd actually forgotten. I think that's why you can understand what you can't understand. You can never put yourself in those shoes. But you can see how these soldiers can become so mentally unhinged by having to deal with all this, seal this, Going out every single day, not knowing whether they're going to come back alive. I mean, I know in some ways you could kind of say, well, that's a common trope in lots of war films. But I think because this isn't a typical war film where there's, you know, there's no kind of proper warfare as such. It's just a bomb disposal team going into some very, very hairy places and you just dicing with death. So I suppose you're seeing a slightly different side of warfare than you might typically get. So, yeah, I I won't really say any more than that. It won six Oscars, which I'd completely forgotten about. And natural fact, Catherine Bigelow became the first woman to win the Academy Award for Best Director. When I was watching this, I suppose I was thinking of how I was inevitably kind of trying to remember Zero Dark Thirty and comparing it to that. Um, But, yeah, it was an interesting one. I had different thoughts on it the second time round. There were bits I didn't remember, but I will hand over to Sarah to tell us what you think.
1: Actually, when you read out the name last week, or last time on the podcast, I I got confused because I thought this was Zero Dark Thirty, didn't I? And then um yeah, I couldn't believe that Zero Dark Thirty was four years later. So this was, you know, her first stepping stone to doing those kind of war movies. I don't she seems to do a lot of gripping kind of movies or or police movies. So and I don't know what's led her down that path. it's quite unusual for a lady to do these kind of movies these war movies in particular as well Uh, but you see you know this is released in 2008 and we see a young jeremy renner and and anthony mackie to what you see in the avenger movies so that's the first thing that is very noticeable and we also have another famous person in this film and it's almost like we have a Sean Bean Game of Thrones moment at the start where a leading actor doesn't really last very long in the movie. <laughs> However, Catherine Bigelow was the first to write do that, I think, because Game of Thrones coming came a bit later. But yeah, I think she's excellent at portraying the hard-hitting war time environment and and sharing that psychological disturbed soldier with a twist of highlighting the empathetic side as well. Really, you're following a dad. He's a dad at, at war in Iraq. Uh, It's deactivating bombs um, with a a squad on a 30-day countdown to when they can actually go home. So they're all like excited about that, but at the same time, every day, every day they have a bomb to deactivate, which is shocking. I didn't realize how bad it really was over there. And on each bomb that's laid, you see the locals watching it like like it's a mouse trap. Like, are they going to do it? Are they not? But however, these people are in the range of the explosion. You're like, are you crazy? Like they're literally watching it down below. And you're thinking, they could get killed themselves. What are they doing? But they obviously have a little bit of trust in the, in the U.S. Army to be deactivating them. Staff Sergeant William James, he's, he's a bit wild. He's a bit Maverick-style on, on his missions. And he does drag his colleagues, Sanborn and, and Eldridge, into these sticky combat situations where they didn't really need to go. But they follow him and they get into to all sorts of trouble. And uh, they have also bonding moments where they wrestle in the camp. and and. But they're still... Even with that scene, there's an air of concern that from Sanborn and Eldridge that he's this guy's not right James is not right and he takes situations every time far too far so uh, he's one one to watch but he's he's a dedicated soldier he, he's born to serve and you see that at, right at the end as well he's born to serve and um, the kid I think his name is called Beckham named it after the, they said the soccer or football star Beckham obviously and he did this lad just reminded him of his son I think or his family and he took a big shine to him but he was also had to put him up arm's length because he realised when he's found another child who I think he thinks is Beckham as well he realises that some of the sick things that these people can do with regards to laying bombs and um, detonating bombs quite shocking as, as as you said Rob I think it's a huge tug of emotions in this film uh, but that's what I think really engages you and you become very invested in the squad i really like specialist eldridge probably is my favorite character cuz he was young he was he was junior he he's played by as you mentioned brian uh, Geraghty, and he's got that kind of Charlie Sheen, Estevez look about him. I don't, know whether, I don't know whether he's related or what, but he's certainly got that look about him. He's he's learning on the job as he goes along, but he, at the same time, he's probably the one that's thinking, I'm afraid of you at the same time. And he is. He's he's afraid of him, but he goes along with what this guy wants him to do. I mean, I think Zero Dark Thirty was, was very strong. I can't remember what I gave that one, but I think I highly rated that one. I'm going to highly rate this one as well. I mean, it's it it won, uh, as you said, six Oscars: motion picture directing, original screenplay, film editing, best sound mixing, best sound editing, and did the same with the um, of quite a few of the Baftas as well in the UK. It's just so strong on many accounts, and I think I'll I'll give it nine out of ten from me.
0: Uh, I think I would probably give it a nine as well. It can be by its very nature, it can be quite slow, but that's partly because you're literally just following this team in situations where things take time. <laughs> uh, and so it's very real from that point of view. I think what I liked about it the most, and I touched on it at the beginning, well, actually, first of all, it's, it's we should really say, or I'd say, say that Renner is so good in this. If you watch Hurt Locker, Especially, like you say, if you're a Marvel fan and you haven't seen her a lot what oh, Yeah, the first thing you think is you've got Mackie and Renner. But it's quite refreshing watching them, what they were up to before Marvel came along. And Renner was nominated for a Best Actor in this. He's very, very, very good. And, you know, he's perfectly suited to the, to the role. And there were some scenes which I just thought were so clever. There was a scene when you've got James busy trying to disarm a bomb and he's basically... <laughs> ignoring all instructions and whilst he's doing that the rest of the team was well, only two of them but they have they have to be looking out to make sure there's no additional danger around them and everywhere they look everyone looks suspicious mm. everything they see like they you know they might see a guy suddenly you know in the distance on a balcony gets gets a video camera out and then two other people appear in this clock tower, and it's not to say that there's going to, that something's going to happen. You just don't know, and they get increasingly jumpy because James is taking way too long to dispose of the bomb. Really, he should have just abandoned it, and they should have left because they're there. They, they've been there for far too long. And as I say, I think it's just that whole eerie environment. That they have to work in, it really comes across so so well. The whole atmosphere of it all, it's almost like the scenes in the base. It's like, oh, you know, you relax, and they get back out, and you're like, oh god, here we go again. Like you, so I just thought that was done extremely well. And I've decided, although she's you know, she doesn't make a lot of films. I thought I think she's she's brilliant at this. She, she really is, isn't she? She's great at this, and she really does make you feel like you're you're a fly on the wall. And the cinematography, everything about it, it's just very very well done. And I felt mm. the same about Zero Dark Thirty. I can't remember what I gave to Zero Dark Thirty. I think I gave it quite a high score actually. Oh, I
1: think I did as well.
0: But interestingly. I had a look at Zero Dark Thirty because I actually think in my head I preferred that. But in actual fact, on IMDb, it has a Zero Dark Thirty is 7.4 overall rating and Hurt Locker is 7.5. So they're and very, it's exactly very exactly
1: the same thing. Yeah,
0: very, very close. But I, I was expecting it probably to be mm. the way, rather way. Anyway, yeah. But
1: this one, this one got the Oscars. True. Yeah, zero zero yeah. Dot thirty. I think got one Oscar. I think
0: that will be why. You're right. That's probably why it's so much higher because I guess mm. it's got a bigger draw. Yeah, I'm going to give it nine out of ten. I wonder whether I've yeah. been a bit harsh and could have given it more. But because occasionally it was quite slow and it is a bit of a bleak film. Mm. But Yeah, I'll give it nine.
1: And both and scores. There was one other Marvel character <laughs> or actor. Oh, yes. Yes. Who was Ange- in this? Angeline Lilly, wasn't it? Uh, Evangeline Lilly. Evangeline yeah. so, Lilly, that's right. Yeah. So she was the, the wife, wasn't she? So, uh, but um, yeah, really, really good film. And I highly recommend it. Good so, stuff. N- next film we are going to watch, which is the new list, is Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One. Part Do you know what? What? I really wish Spider Man across the universe they did part said part one. Because that wouldn't have got me all wound up at the end. <laughs> they should have said part one. <laughs> yeah,
0: but the, the thing I I know what you mean. But equally I when I see a film that is part one, there's there's part of me where my my head just drops a bit thinking, Oh God, this isn't even the complete story. Um, we've got we gotta wait, you know. Got, yeah. Like, so, but I suppose if you it'd be upfront about it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so this is released on the tenth of July, part one, and I guess the, the the second one will be released next year.
0: And I am I am actually looking forward to watching this because I'm, I've never really through that into action films, and I don't know why. In the last like six months, we've watched quite a few action films on the podcast, and I think Tom Cruise has has almost got the right approach. He's got this one up on all these other action films is that, you know, so much of what they do is for real or what he does is for real. And I was watching a bit of Indiana Jones, especially when they were running on the track, <laughs> running on the train. And I thought, OK, there's the films you watch where, you know, it's movie yeah. magic. You know, it's not really happening and you just live uh-huh. with that. That is like a Tom Cruise film. And I'm having watched Top Gun, I've got a little bit more respect for, for Tom Cruise. He's quite good at what he does.
1: He's a yeah, and I think he broke it. Didn't he break something? He Seems to to break something every time he does a Mission Impossible film. I believe. I think he one of the films he jumped jumped off a Shanghai building or something bizarre like that and broke something. I think he he breaks something doing a in the trailer where he's driving on a motorbike and he goes off and then he goes into a, descends into, I don't know, whether he has a, a parachute or something. Yeah, yeah, he
0: does. I mean, yeah. He, yeah, exactly. He drives a motorbike off this off a cliff. Uh, yeah. and just, crazy, uh, that's, that's crazy, crazy person. That's his person. Stuff for
1: this one. I mean, he's, he's not young either. He's like in his 60s, isn't I he? I
0: know. He can't do this Is he forever. 60s? He must be in his late 50s or mid-50s. He's
1: 61.
0: It's incredible, isn't it? Mind yeah. you. I mean, look, he's got another 10 years probably, isn't he? And then they'll just de-age him anyway, so it doesn't really matter.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they'll probably de-age him in this as well. <laughs>
0: yeah, maybe he is de-aged and we don't even know about it. I mean, they like to play with the whole mask yeah. thing, they don't they, Mission Impossible yeah. anyway, so yeah. just take it to the next level.
1: <laughs> so you're choosing for my list? I am. I I mean, think I, there was, there's only
0: animation left, isn't there? I
1: know. Let's... Do you want animation or something else? Well, no, let's wrap
0: wrap it up. Let's do animation.
1: Okay, I have 17.
0: Hmm. I wonder if your 17th is the most recent one.
1: (laughs) Do you want number 17?
0: Yeah, let's go number 17.
1: It's one I thought earlier, actually, that I haven't got on the list, and it's called Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Oh, my word. In
0: 1988.
1: I'm off to Disney very soon in Florida. And this one came to mind because the last time I was in Disney was when I was very young and I bought a Roger Rabbit picture, which I then had in A2 size or A1, or A1 or a massive size poster, And I had that in my bedroom. So, uh, yeah, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? And it's streaming currently on Disney Plus and uh, you can rent or buy from Rakuten TV, Apple TV, Sky Store, etc. But do you want to read the synopsis?
0: It's only one line. A toon-hating detective is a cartoon rabbit's only hope to prove his innocence when he's accused of murder. And this is Bob Hoskins, isn't it? Yeah. Bob,
1: yeah, Bob Hoskins,
0: Hos- Christopher Lloyd, and Joanna Cassidy. Wow, what a blast from the past this I is.
1: know, yeah. Do you know why I also liked it? Because I used to remember, I remember. do you remember zippity doo zippy zippity doo da yeah, yeah. That song, which was apparently from Song of the South. And that was probably the first... Snippet I saw of live footage with animation. I think this was the next film that I saw. And then obviously, you got Space Jam and all that sort of stuff afterwards. But I think they did this very well. I think it won Oscars as well. Who Framed did. Roger
0: Rabbit? It did. I've only just, I'm just looking now. I think
1: about three Oscars
0: or something. Yeah, it, won. it won three Oscars. I don't remember it um, doing that well. It, it won for editing and not surprisingly, best effects. So
1: mm. that's going to be fun. Yep so a bit of an oldie there as animations go not not super old because i've got lady in the tramp on my list as well which is like 1955 but this one um is is definitely uh, certainly an older one but uh, with a slightly different you know different effects obviously
0: great right well any plans this week i'm going camping this weekend and, and oh, you yeah. yeah just down in the new forest um oh, that'd but- be nice but hang on, like, the big news is that you're, like you say, you're gearing up for a Disney holiday.
1: A Disney holiday? I know, I can't wait. Universal, Disney, so I'm going to get all my oh wow behind-the-scenes look. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be amazing. We were going to do it three years ago, but due to COVID, um, we had to cancel it. Oh. One of those people that had to move there, wait five hours on a, on a call to get the money back. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so, yeah. Good stuff. Well
0: we will speak again in a couple of weeks time
1: yep enjoy enjoy your camping i'm very jealous that sounds very nice and um we'll see you next time okay see you later bye bye